0: Please turn with me in your Bibles or to uh, page 5 of your bulletins to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told, David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country." When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men, he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, They gathered themselves together, and Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobach, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed of the Syrians the men of seven hundred chariots and forty thousand horsemen, and wounded Shobak the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel, and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites any more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you to receive your word today. And we thank you for this passage of Scripture, a passage that may seem uh, a little obscure, but uh, we thank you that it is still the word of the Lord for us today. We ask, Lord, that as we reflect on this passage, that we would think on uh, how you have initiated steadfast love uh, to us and you offer that love to all. And so we ask, Lord, that today we would receive your love. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been suspicious of someone's kindness to you? Have you ever, uh, has anyone ever been so friendly or generous uh, to you that you begin to wonder if they have a hidden agenda? Now, now you know, perhaps uh, they're actually going to be trying to take advantage of you. Well, I've experienced that, and I'm sure you have at some point in your life as well. Well, in 1956, natives from the Haroni tribe of Ecuador experienced that as well. The Haroni people, also called the Aukas, had rarely if ever been contacted by white people. One day, uh, an airplane flew over them, and, and, uh, and those in the plane spoke some words in their own language to them. Their surprise. For several months, the airplane would return and, and drop off gifts uh, to them in a bucket. Eventually, the Harani people uh, sent up to the airplane gifts of their own through that same bucket. Then one day, the airplane landed on their beach. One of their men and two of their women went out to uh, meet the, the the men who had landed there. Uh, the Harani man uh, got to ride in the airplane. He got a Got got his uh, own tour. The white man, uh, the white man there, told him to come back uh, and bring some of the the, uh, the some of the others from their tribe. The kindness showed to the Harani people, however, made the tribe suspicious of these strangers. A few days later, the tribe sent a few of their warriors to the beach. And there they killed with their spears the five white men who had come in the plain. These five white men, as I'm sure many of you have heard this story before, they they were missionaries. The missionaries were uh, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. They came with love and kindness, but it was met with suspicion, and their love was rejected. Three weeks ago, when we were in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David showed Hesed. And Hesed, that's the Hebrew word for steadfast love or, or kindness, as it's translated there in chapter 9. And he showed that kindness to Saul's family, uh, specifically to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. Now, this week in chapter 10, we see David showing Hesed again, this time to the family of a deceased Ammonite king. So the exact same phrase occurs bo- in, in both the beginnings of both chapters. But it's translated differently. So it's, it's saying that David is literally, he's doing hesed. And, uh, uh, and, and, and it's translated that he's showing kindness to Mephibosheth. And, and here in chapter 10, it's, it's, that, uh, it's translated that he's dealing loyally with uh, the family of Nahash. In chapter 9, David's kindness was well-received by Mephibosheth. It was just life-changing for him. And this week, David's kindness is actually going to be rejected with suspicion. Sometimes kindness is met with suspicion, and that suspicion is wrong. It's deadly wrong. This is tremendously important for us today. Just as King David extended his Hesed love to his enemies to make peace, so also the Lord Jesus extends his free offer of love and peace and everlasting life to all. To some, this just may sound too good to be true. Just as David's offer of Hesed was rejected, so also Christ's offer is rejected by many of his enemies. But in the end, Christ will have the final victory over all of his enemies. This chapter today may seem uh, just yeah, a little obscure to some of you. Perhaps some of you have never even seen this chapter before. And, and perhaps it's, it's due to the fact that this chapter is just overshadowed by the infamy of, of the next chapter, of chapter 11, which is David's adultery with Bathsheba. David's adultery, is, is, it's during the, the battles with the Ammonites. So chapter 10 here, it provides this backdrop for chapter 11. But this chapter isn't here just for a historical uh, context for David's adultery. This chapter stands on its own. It's God's word for us today. Because there are a handful of people and places in this chapter that many of, our, many of us are unfamiliar with, um, I, I think it will be best for us to first set the stage about uh, and talk about who, who are these people? What are these places that are mentioned in this chapter? The first people we hear about are the Ammonites. The Ammonites. So who, who are the Ammonites? The Ammonites, they, they lived in Ammon, which uh, was just 40 miles east of Jerusalem across the Jordan. So... Ammon, it was not not a part of Israel. The distance between Jerusalem and Ammon is uh, like the distance between Rochester and Winona. So they're very close neighbors. The Ammonites, they were the descendants of Lot. And Lot was the nephew of Abraham. From Lot came came two large people groups, the, the, the Moabites, So think of Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, and then the Ammonites. So this conflict in 2 Samuel, it's a conflict between distant relatives, the descendants of Abraham against the descendants of Lot. Chapter 10 here refers to an Ammonite city a few times. It doesn't specifically name what that city is, but most likely it's it's, it's the city of Rabbah. And uh, today, Rabbah is, is called the city of Amman, which is the capital city of the country of Jordan. Up to this point, the Israelites have historically had many issues with the Ammonites. Uh, but these, these two battles that we're going to see here are going to mark this significant power shift in the favor of the Israelites. So that's just a brief intro to the Ammonites here. Next we have Nahash. He's the king of the Ammonites who died. Apparently, they had uh, he had a loyal and trusting relationship with with David at some point. We don't know the backstory of what that relationship is. The, the Bible just doesn't tell us. But perhaps um, Nahash may have helped David when he was hiding from Saul. Sometimes when you have a common enemy, that makes you friends. And Nahash was an enemy of Saul. He had waged war against Saul uh, um, uh, several times. And, and, uh, and then David, as we know, uh, was running for his life. So perhaps Nahash had helped out David during that time. We just don't know. The next person on the scene is Hanun. He's the son of Nahash. And Hanun, he's, he's now the new king of Ammon, taking the throne after his father's death. David he he chooses to do Hesed to or to deal kindly or, or loyally with Hanun, as he had with Nahash. Then we see in this passage the Syrians. The Syrians. They were hired as mercenaries by the Ammonites to fight against Israel. Now Syria, Syria was a, a, a northern neighbor to Israel. The Syrian's military commander is uh, mentioned in chapter ten as well, and that's that's Hadadezer. And now Hadadezer, he's he's got a very bad record against the Israelites. Uh, we saw in chapter eight that he lost uh, a battle against David, uh, and now we're going to see again in chapter ten that he's going to lose against the Israelites once again. The last two people to mention here in this text are the the brothers Joab and Abishai Joab was the commander of of David's army and Abishai was his brother now Abishai he's mentioned again in uh, in chapter 23 and he's mentioned as the chief of the 30 of David's mighty men the group of some of the greatest warriors in Israel's history so aside from uh, David these are the main characters and, and places mentioned here So now let's walk through the passage starting in verses 1 and 2. And and here, right away, we will see the uh, initiating love of the king. Verse 1. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David, sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. In chapter 8, we saw King David initiating, doing hesed, or showing kindness to Saul's family for the sake of his beloved friend Jonathan. We now see David once again initiating hesed, but this time to those who, even outside of Israel who had been enemies with Israel at, at many times. This speaks greatly to the character of King David that he would initiate showing love and kindness and loyalty to those who couldn't repay him like Mephibosheth and, uh, or, or those who would be considered to be his enemies like the Ammonites. But it doesn't just speak only of David's character ultimately also speaks to the character of God himself. David initiated hesed love, and kindness because the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man after God's own heart because the spirit of God's heart reigned in his heart. So David desired to initiate love to the lame man of Mephibosheth and to Hanun the Ammonite, a possible enemy, because God initiates love like that to the weak and to his enemy. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the better and true David, exemplifies this same kind of initiating love. He initiated kindness to us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We didn't ask Jesus to come and save us. He chose to come, to love his enemies and to comfort the weak. When Jesus died on the cross, he offered peace to all his enemies, to all who would put their faith in him. So today I want each of us here today and those of us listening online to hear that Jesus is offering immeasurable kindness to you and and, and you need not be suspicious of it. It's genuine love, genuine kindness, true friendship. His promises of peace and hope and joy and everlasting life and a, a new loving family are all true promises that you can trust. So, if you're suspicious about Jesus Christ or or about Christians, lay your doubts aside and, and, and receive His love and the forgiveness of your sins. It's the greatest gift imaginable. So do not reject His kindness. Just as some today reject the kindness of Christ, so also David's kindness was rejected. We see this in verses 3. Through five, but the princes of the Ammonite said to Hanun their lord, "Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he's honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search out the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it?" So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David. He sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. Wow, well, yeah, that didn't really go as planned, did it? (laughs) Have your good intentions ever been met with hostility? Suspicion overtook the Ammonite princes. Perhaps some of them had some reasons to be suspicious. Perhaps they had been in battle against Saul years ago and had seen what the Israelites had done to their people, so maybe they were suspicious, but these these princes they, they, they shared that suspicion with the new king it, uh, Hanun, who wasn 't wise enough yet to, uh, to, to, to to weigh out what they were saying and question it and, and think about it some more and, and, and ultimately to see the faults of their suspicion. Here's a moment of wisdom for us. As Christians, we need wisdom to understand the potential dangers of suspicion. Suspicion is often foolishness. Sometimes suspicion turns out to be good instincts. And I've met some people with crazy good instincts who can read people accurately very quickly. but, But it is often foolishness. Suspicion is the declaration of guilty on the basis of little or no evidence. Suspicion is too hasty to be open to reason, to to all the possibilities of, of, of a person's motives. Like a newspaper that prints a story too soon, without all the facts, suspicion hastily writes up a damning narrative of the other person. Suspicion is fueled by by a lot of things. It it can be fueled by fear or insecurities or or, or fascination and drama and uh, the entices of gossip. As Christians, let's only judge others with the measure with which we desire to be judged. Let's be slow to anger, open to reason, forgiving, quick to forgive, quick to overlook an offense, and careful to avoid gossip. So Hanun, he, uh, he foolishly bought into the suspicion uh, of, of the princes, and, and then he hastily chose to humiliate David's servants. He shaved their beards in half, probably shaving one side altogether to make them look as ridiculous as possible. All Israelite men had beards, so this was uh, this was very humiliating to them. But Hanun didn't stop there. He cut off their garments at the hips, exposing their private parts to all as they kicked them out of the city of Rabbah. The hesed of the king was rejected, and the king's servants were humiliated. The same thing happened to Jesus, didn't it? John 1.11 says, He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. His kindness, His love, His comfort that He initiated was rejected. And He was humiliated. His beard was plucked. His clothes were taken from Him and His nakedness was exposed on that cross. And the same rejection happened to Jesus' disciples and the countless Christians throughout the ages who have shared the good news of God's peace and love and comfort. It happened to the Ecuadorian missionaries. At least it did with the first five. As many of you know, that story doesn't end. You see, sometimes the hesed of the king is rejected by his enemies and sometimes those who have once rejected his love at one time end up having a change of heart and lay their suspicions aside. Sometimes the glory of the gospel exposes the foolishness of suspicion in people's hearts. They come to realize that and have a change of heart. And then enemies become friends. That's what happened with the Harani people. Two years after the death of the five missionaries, the unthinkable happened. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's widow, along with her daughter and uh, Rachel Saint, Nate Saint's sister, they went back to the Harani people to live among them and to share the gospel of peace. The Harani set suspicion aside and received them. The very men who killed the five missionaries became Christians, and even lifelong friends with the widows and children of the men they had killed. The Hesed of the king brings peace. Do not reject the love of the king. If you accept his love, you will be his friend. But if you reject it, you will continue to be his enemy. Rejecting this love is refusing the greatest gift imaginable. So if you have any suspicions about Jesus. Turn your suspicion to to curiosity and learn more about who Jesus is and and the love he offers you. It's the greatest gift and it's free. So Hanun chose to reject David's comfort and to hastily humiliate his servants. In so doing, he was communicating an act of war. We see in the rest of chapter 10, two large battles. Uh, one that was a fairly large battle, followed then by a massive battle. Perhaps one of the largest ones that David had had, uh, had ever uh, had ever taken part in. Let's look at verse 6. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers and, and the king of with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. The Ammonites, they weren't as strong as Israel, so they hired the Syrians as mercenaries to fight with them against Israel. Verse 7, And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. Now, as we've mentioned before, uh, there's, there's, there's such a thing as uh, David's mighty men. Uh, it's a group of men, a group of 30 men in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel uh, of, of just the, the, the best of the best warriors. Uh, chapter 3 about the, David's mighty men, that was uh, back in the day when I worked at, up at Camp Shamanop in northern Minnesota. That was a, that was a favorite uh, a chapter uh, among the campers. They would just love to hear all the, the stories of uh, of those mighty men, and so here, um, though, when it's speaking of David's whole whole host of mighty men, it's it's uh, it's speaking more than just the the thirty. It's uh, speaking of of all of David's uh, army. Verse eight. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zoba and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were there, uh, were by themselves in the open country. All right, so let's set the stage for this battle. This all takes place at the Ammonite city of Rabbah. The Ammonites, they've, they've come out of their city and they're, they're, they've arrayed their army in front of the city gate. So they're facing the Israelites. The Syrian mercenaries, they're in the open country, and and they've closed in behind the Israelite army. So the Israelites are now sandwiched between the Ammonites at the city gate and the Syrians behind them. So what will Joab, the commander, do? Verse 9, When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arranged, arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But, but if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Now, at first glance, it may seem that Joab is selfishly taking all the best warriors and leaving the leftovers to his brother, Abishai. But actually, I believe that uh, Joab is is actually being very strategic here and not not selfish. He may have thought that because the Ammonites hired the Syrians as, as mercenaries, they must have been afraid of Israel. And if he could strike first and hardest against the Syrians, then, well, if the Syrians retreat... Then the Ammonites would most assuredly retreat as well, out of fear. You may have also. Uh, I was talking with some brothers after the service, in the uh, after the first service, and they they talked about how mercenaries historically are, aren't uh, the most devoted uh, warriors, uh, anyway. So if things start to turn away in their direction, they're more apt to uh, to, to stop fighting. Um, in contrast to those who are defending their own land. So, Joab may have kind of wagered that in his mind as well. So, Joab, he's strategically putting his best army against the Syrians. Now, in verse 12, Joab surprisingly gives us some good theology. Verse 12 Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good. him. Joab was not a good man, but as we see throughout the Bible, sometimes good theology comes from unlikely people. Joab is calling Israel to be courageous as they fight, to think of the people of Israel that they are fighting to protect, to think of protecting the cities of Israel that are God's chosen possession. He calls for courage, and at the same time, he leaves the outcome of the battle to God's sovereignty. Joab speaks here of a, of a healthy tension that we experience in our own Christian lives. That, that though God does what seems good to him, you know, God's sovereignty, we can still have courage and not fear because God is good to his people. And he's not fickle or, or capricious or, or just random in what outcomes He sovereignly chooses. Verse 13. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Joab's strategy worked. He beat the Syrians... And when they fled, the Ammonites sought and retreated back into their city. Joab chooses not to take the city of Rabbah at this time, but rather to return to Jerusalem. In the next chapter, Joab will uh, return and besiege Rabbah and eventually take it. But David is going to actually stay back from that battle and stay back at Jerusalem. And then he commits adultery. We then see in verses 15 through 17 that another battle, an even greater battle, follows the first one. And this time, David himself leads his army, the army of all Israel. The Syrians, led by Hadadezer, were sore about their loss at Rabbah and responded with an even larger army against Israel at Helam. Now, Helam was about 50 miles or so north of Rabbah. In this current sermon series, Pastor Chris has done a, an excellent job of, of connecting these wars against David and Israel to Psalm 2, which speaks of the nation's waging war against the Lord and against His anointed one. Chapter 10 here is another instance of that. These battles against the Ammonites and the Syrians, are, they're, they're, they're small pictures of, these, of this reoccurring theme throughout redemption history. That the nations wage war against the Lord and against his anointed king. And ultimately, against Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Now remember, that's what Christ means, right? Christ means the anointed one. Church history, it's a fascinating study of, of seeing both the nations rage against Christ and against Christians. And also peoples from all around the world coming to faith in Christ. So when we evangelize and spread the kingdom of God, we can expect, yes, the war and the the nation's raging, but we can also expect victory. Both persecution and a harvest of spiritual fruit. Both rejection and humiliation and acceptance and even friendship. Let's be courageous and not fear for the sake of bringing more and more people into the people of God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. At the end of chapter 10, we see David's victory over the Syrians. Verse 19 says, And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to him. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. In the end, King David is victorious. David's victory here expands the influence, peace, and protection of his land. He conquered a close neighboring enemy. He made peace with the Syrians And he severed the relationship between the Ammonites and the Syrians so that in the future they're not going to gang up on him anymore. David's rule is soaring. God is with his anointed one and puts his enemies under his feet. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, the reigning king of kings, is now putting all of his enemies under his feet. This is put so well in First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 27. First Corinthians 15, it says, Then comes the end, when He, let talk about Jesus, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is, is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. Jesus is reigning. He is putting His enemies underneath Him. And one day He will conquer, conquer the enemy with no face at all. The enemy of death. Death will be put to death. All of His enemies will be put under Him. This is what the end of the age will look like. So for those of you today who are here and and, and you have not bowed your knee to Christ, turn turn, turn your life to Him. Turn away from your sin. Nail your sin to the cross of Christ and receive His love and His forgiveness. It is far, far, infinitely far better for you to bow your knee now than to remain an enemy and to be crushed under His feet. As his enemy at the last judgment. And for those of you who have accepted the Hesed of Jesus and live in his kindness every day, remember that your victory is found in Jesus' victory. First John five, four through five says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? No matter how much we may be persecuted or humiliated in this life, we will overcome. Our victory is sure because Christ's victory is sure. He will conquer our enemies. Brothers and sisters, our Christian faith overcomes the world. We can rest in that. We can rest in our conquering King. We can rest in the Hesed of the King. Our last song that we'll sing after we receive the Lord's Supper is "We Rest on Thee," and it's a song of going forth, a song uh, uh, almost a, a missionary song in a sense. And it was it was the song, it was the hymn that that the that the five missionaries of Ecuador sang. Uh, s- several days before they left for Ecuador, and so as we sing that, um, be it, uh, receive that song as you, as your charge. That as uh, that we rest on Thee and in Thy name we we go. It's a wonderful song. Let's now pray, Heavenly Father. We come to You and we thank You for our King, our King of Kings. We thank You, Heavenly Father. That in love you predestined us to be adopted as your sons and daughters in Christ. We praise you that you initiated that steadfast love. That love for us has been steadfast from before the foundations of the world. What wondrous love is this? We ask, Lord, that uh, that those of us here, each one of us here, would receive the love and comfort and kindness of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We ask, Lord, that any suspicions would be laid aside and that people would fully trust in you. Help us, Lord, to go forth in boldness and in courage, knowing that you will do what seems good to you. So we pray this now all in the name of Jesus Christ, our King of Kings. Amen.